Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 131, and today's guest is Dan O'Malley, founder and CEO of Numerated. Dan has built a strong level of domain experience in the fintech industry. What is really interesting about his career is how he's been a driver of innovation at startups as well as much larger companies. At Capital One, he built their payment product into one of the company's largest strategic initiatives. As CEO and co-founder of Perk Street Financial, they built an online-only consumer banking platform, which just didn't hit the market right from a timing point of view. He later joined Eastern Bank as the co-founder and head of Eastern Labs, the company's innovation arm, which was built to help keep Eastern Bank competitive in their industry. It was this experience that led to the founding of Numerated, a company that was spun out of the lab and is focused on helping banks grow relationships faster with its real-time sales platform. Numerated recently announced a $15 million Series B round of funding. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like how innovation works at larger companies, Dan's background story and a walk through his career, all the details on Numerated's platform and why the company was spun outside of Eastern Bank, plus its growth and hiring plans, the current state of fintech in Boston, advice for first-time founders on raising capital, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Whenever someone asks me, who are the fastest growing tech companies in Boston or New York, I simply direct them to our biz pages. From there, you can do a virtual tour of each tech scene and explore over 290 companies. Each biz page tells you everything you need to know about a company from a high level, like the company's culture, job openings, products, leadership team, and so much more. Go to venturefizz.com backslash biz pages to start exploring. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Dan. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Dan, so we're going to talk a lot about uh, you know your background in terms of building companies and go deep on uh, Numerated. But before we get into that, let's talk about uh, something that is you know I think kind of interesting. Where you know when people think of larger companies, they think that uh, they don't innovate as quickly. They can't move out of their own way. Sometimes they just kind of get stuck in their way of doing things. Yet you definitely your background speaks very differently around that. So can you talk about innovation in larger companies and their ability to think? Uh, about the future and building businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've kind of spent my career going uh, inside and outside of large companies and, and then startups. Um, but, but, but at large companies who I had conviction would be able to kind of move quickly and make change. Um, and so uh, probably something I know a thing or two about. Um, you know, let, let's, let's maybe talk about Eastern, uh, Eastern Bank a little bit, which um, it's funny, it is really not the organization you would think of uh, at, uh, on, on its cover page to move quickly. Uh, Eastern is the seventh oldest bank in the United States. It is 201 years old. Um, and on top of being a really old organization, uh, it's a mutual bank, which means there's no public shareholders. It's kind of owned by its, its constituents. And so it lends a level of conservatism because the bank can't, uh, if it ever makes a mistake in lending, it can't go to the public markets to raise capital. It has no access to external. And so it's like really, really conservative. And so, you know, how did this, uh, this elephant learn to dance, this 201-year-old bank? Um, and it's an interesting story. And it's really a story of how um, motivated, determined people can make change, uh, even though it's hard. Um, so uh, in between uh, Perk Street, my, my last company before Eastern, uh, in Eastern, I was off talking with banks. And you know, we believed as a, as a team uh, that I, I had a team of entrepreneurs I was working with that we could probably go inside of a bank and build some technology 
that might be transformative to the bank. And if we could transform the bank, it might actually be transformative to the industry. And so you know, I was off talking with a bunch of different banks. And uh, I, met, I met the president and I met the CEO at Eastern. And uh, they kind of gave me a pitch, actually. And they said, hey, we, we have to change this place. We have to change the culture of Eastern Bank or else we're not going to make it 10 more years, let alone 200 more. And uh, we'll, we're willing to do whatever it takes to make change. Uh, and we met with the board and heard the pitch from the board and said, I mean, this sounds kind of crazy, but what if we brought a team of entrepreneurs inside the seventh oldest bank in the United States? And let's see what we can do together. Let's get in the trenches and figure it out. Um, it's like super uncomfortable. Um, there was a lot of swearing to be totally candid. Um, uh, and nobody kind of knew what the right idea was to transform this really old organization. Um, but the cool thing was everybody was determined to figure it out. And that determination and then the trust you build between the people you're in the trenches with, it can carry you through making hard change. And that's what we did for three years. And we turned Eastern, uh, we built a, a lending platform and that uh, together with all the bankers and my team of entrepreneurs, we turned Eastern into the number one business bank in Boston, the number nine most competitive metro in the United States. Eastern beats Bank of America, Eastern beats Citizens and Santander and everybody because of the determination of that team. Well, to your point, so there was a, you know, there was a fundamental reason why they had to innovate. Otherwise, they would have you know, potentially gone out of business, I guess. So you got to look for those companies that value that innovation, that are, you know, get that board level approval that this isn't just something that they think would be kind of cool to explore. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's commitment and determination at the end of the day that make a difference. So. Well, let's rewind the clock. Let's, let's go way back. So, uh, you know, wh where'd you grow up and wh what were you like as a kid? Uh, I was a giant nerd as a kid, uh, is the short answer to that question. Um, I, uh, I'm kind of born outside of Chicago, born on the South side, uh, big White Sox fan, in addition to being a Red Sox fan now, and uh, moved around all over the place. My dad was in the hotel business, and every time he got promoted, we would go to a different hotel. And so lived in 15 different places growing up, uh, which, which was interesting. Um, and uh, always kind of a giant math science guy and a giant nerd. And um, I was doing data science back when we called it operations research, uh, not data science. Data science is a way cooler name, so whoever came up with it, thank you. Um, and uh, you know, went to college for operations research and uh, took my first job as a data scientist out of school. So, so that was your, so you went to Princeton and then after that you, uh, was it Mercer that you were a part of your first job out of school? That's right. Yeah. Now called Oliver Wyman, called Mercer back then. Um, and uh, the primary thing I did uh, as part of Mercer is work with retailers and financial services firms and build these like giant, really complicated models to do price optimization, promotions optimization. If you've ever wondered how uh, Shaw's and Star Market decide how to put what products and what places in the store, the models that I built told them how to do that. And so uh, it's all massively data-driven based on industry performance and store performance. So kind of a cool early application of data science. Um, we also, this is like super nerdy, but also kind of cool. Um, we built a model that predicted where you should run uh, promotions, where you should give discounts if you're a grocery store. And it turns out you can model the entire grocery purchases in a region based on locations to different grocery stores. If there's more grocery stores, it's more competitive. If there are fewer, it's less. And you can model your ability to pull sales in from somewhere using the same equation that's used to model gravity. There's a constant 
two masses of the two different stores and a uh, and the distance uh, divided by the distance squared based on how far the person is you're trying to pull away from another store. So it's really super nerdy, but again, a really cool application of actually physics and data science in the grocery industry of all. Wow, you, you can still go deep in that industry. Look at you. That's right, man. That's right. <laughs> now, you didn't end up in the, the grocery industry. It's not like you took that experience and started to you know, think about you know, how to transform that, that industry. You ended up in, in financial services. So, so at Capital One, what were, you, what were you responsible there? Yeah, so I went to Capital One not because I had this burning desire to like sell credit cards, but because there were a lot of people like me who were there who were trained data scientists and wanted to use data to kind of run a business. And so um, I knew a lot of people who had gone to Capital One and I said, ah, it feels like a good thing for someone like me. And then kind of got there and had validated just the amount of data you have to work with. And especially in consumer finance. And so building models to predict credit, building models to predict response um, was just really, really fun. And so at Capital One, I did a couple things. I uh, kind of rebooted the company's cashback credit card business, uh, which I think like Jennifer Garner now advertises on TV. And I had nothing to do with those ads. I just think that's a pretty cool end to the, to the work that I started doing you know, 15 years ago. Um, What's in your wallet? That's right, man. That's right. It was, it was cool to be a part of the company. It, it was at that point in time, uh, we used to call it a 20-year-old startup. Uh, Capital One started from nothing, actually inside of a bank and then got spun out, kind of similar to what we did at, uh, at Numerated with Eastern. And so that was a fun place to be, lots of growth, uh, lots of change. And um, I eventually helped create another line of business there. Uh, focused on debit cards that gave people rewards and cash back for all the things that we're buying, not just on credit cards like Cap One had traditionally so, 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 so then you decided to go off and start a company. So what was that, you know, you were, you know, working in these uh, larger company, but okay, um, I'm going to go off and start my own company. What was that like aha moment that said, okay, you know, Perk Street Financial is something that, uh, you, know, you know, has, has a shot here. Yeah. So I'll kind of give you two points on that. Um, uh, one, one in my favor and one maybe not in my favor. So in my favor, uh, we learned so much at Capital One about how to change consumer behavior by providing value back in the form of rewards. And so you know, I was sitting there at Capital One saying, uh, people like to spend on credit cards, but last I checked, you spend on credit and you end up in debt. And so why don't we just do the same thing that we know people like, and we'll do it on bank accounts because also last I checked, it's pretty hard to get in debt on a bank account. And so I actually pitched it a couple of times at, at Cap One and heard, ah, people won't want that. You know, people like to spend on credit cards. You know, uh, people don't like debit. I just looked at all the data and said, I just don't, I don't believe that. <laughs> I know a lot of people who stay away from credit because it's dangerous. And so uh, I also knew that internet banking, back then we called it internet banking, right? like it was this big weird thing sitting off over in the corner. I was like, that's just going to be called banking one day. <laughs> like, I don't walk into branches. I've had a direct bank account for a long time. Like, let's do that. Let's create a new company to kind of go after the banks and we'll do it all digitally. We'll sell checking accounts over the internet. And keep in mind, like 11 years ago, 12 years ago, that's a different world. It is not as obvious back then what the world was going to be like today. And so decided to create a company. So all those were kind of like the in my favor points, the crazy parts of that. I'm a 29-year-old guy. I quit my job at the most stable bank in the country right before a financial crisis to go raise a round of Series A financing as the economy was collapsing. I mean, that was crazy. And maybe, maybe not smart. I don't know. Um, but we managed to pull it all together and pulled the team together. And we did our Series A round of financing with Highland Capital uh, and closed on September 29th, 2008, which 
Anybody has a really good memory? <laughs> Worst single point drop in Dow history. Was it really? Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember it well. I was uh, running my search firm and uh, there was a lot of time on my hands those days because people weren't hiring. They were just letting people right. go. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a crazy time, man. So, so, so what was the, like, what was Perk Street? Like, what was the, the actual, you know, end business model that you guys were trying to, to bring to market? Yeah. So we, uh, we sold checking and savings accounts over the internet back before that was a thing. We gave people tons of rewards and cash back for all their banking. Listen, you know, uh, spend on our debit card, we'll give you cash back. Move over your direct deposit, we'll give you cash back. Just bring your banking to us and we'll reward you. Uh, we don't have branches. We don't have that overhead. We can give you a really good deal. And, um, uh, and it worked. Um, you know, we at our peak had more customers than, God, I don't know what it was, you know, 90 whatever percent of the banks in the United States. We were doing a billion dollars a year in transaction volume through our accounts. So really significant volume, which is how we made money. Um, and I uh, had a, uh, just a ton of uh, customers who participated in this online community with us on Facebook, on our blog, on our site uh, to save money. And everybody was talking about ways like, hey, how can you save like 10 bucks on cat food? Like, you know, what are the ways to do that? How could you, you know, when you search for insurance, what are the ways you save money on that? We didn't even offer insurance. And so um, looking back, we were really the first, what's called now a challenger bank or a neo bank uh, that we're trying to bring a new way to banking, a new way to kind of acquire customers and engage with them uh, versus the traditional branch-based model where you build a branch and like people have to come to you. So you did build a business that had, you know, some substance and scale. Um, yep. So was it still just, you know, the market that was probably the biggest challenge or was it, you know, timing of consumers weren't quite ready? I mean, you still did, you know, acquire quite a bit of consumers, but so what, what was the biggest challenges that you faced at Perk Street? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a couple of things. One, the, um, uh, the economics of bank accounts massively changed uh, in that same time period. Uh, the interest, interest rate environment went to zero and stayed at zero for eight years. It never happened before in the history of the, of the world. Um, and so we had to like figure out new ways to make money every single year. Uh, we also had some of our other economics kind of get cut and shift. And so we were just continuously reinventing. Um, and the industry only really settled down over the last three, four, five years. Um, so that was kind of one thing that we struggled with back then. It was a little before you know, uh, our time. I'll tell you the second thing, the fundraising environment for FinTech in 2008 versus today, it's like a different world, man. I mean, I talked to most of the VCs in Boston and um, I would say 75, 80% of the time I heard, we just don't do FinTech. Like, we just don't do it. We don't like it. We don't understand it. You got to work or compete with banks and uh, banks, man. I mean, come on. And, uh, you know, you contrast that to today where last year, 20% of venture dollars went to FinTech. And you see these you know, ability to raise large amounts of capital to fund customer acquisition. That's what we needed. We needed to raise like $100 million and go head to head with my former employer at Capital One and everybody else and just take them on straight. You can't do it on, you know, the funding environment back in in 2008 it's just a different world now is, is there a um, a company now like you said a challenger type of company that ha that exists now that you're like that was us <laughs> yeah i think um there's a couple in the u.s you know the ones that i probably most respect are coming out of um uh coming out of europe right now where open banking is really creating opportunities for the challenger banks to take over major share you know if you look at uh the uk environment 33 percent of all revenue growth in banking is going to the entrance it's crazy. It's a third of all growth. And so, um, you know, we look at uh, some of the great models they have over there. Um, there are certainly companies in the U.S., though, that are 
starting to get some traction. Okay. You, um, you know, you already gave a, a glimpse of uh, what we're going to talk about next, and that's Eastern Bank. Um, so, so what was your team working on? Like you were chartered with, you know, let's try to figure out how to reinvent things here at Eastern. So what were some of the things that, that you guys were able to tackle? Um, and then obviously one of these ideas led you down the path to what you're doing now. Yeah. So, um, you know, our perspective when we came to Eastern was that, you know, we're going to do something really difficult. We're going to we're going to bring technologists and entrepreneurs inside of a 200 year bank and we're going to start to push to figure out how to change how the bank is run, how to change the culture. Uh, our belief was that <clears throat> we really needed to, to expend all that effort trying to create growth um, and that cost cutting, operational efficiencies, error reductions. At the end of the day, this was going to be really hard. It needed to be in service of something really important, like figuring out how the banks can continue to find customers. And so we focused on that primarily. Uh, we did do uh, some work on the team on mobile and online banking and replatforming that, um, which was also really hard. <laughs> but, uh, but kind of the main of, uh, thrust of our new development was all about growth. Um, and uh, it's, we learned some interesting things. We did a little bit of testing in insurance, small business insurance, before we got into business lending, which was eventually what led to Numerated. And um, most interesting thing we learned was that we just kind of like called a bunch of customers to see that we could actually see in the transaction data we're buying insurance from somebody who was not Eastern Insurance and just said like, hey, can we check in and you know, how's your business doing? Are you interested in find, uh, hearing about some ways to save money on on your insurance, we've got some compelling things that you might want to take a look at. 97% um, of everybody picked up the phone or called us back. Everybody. Wow. So like, I don't know if you know any connect rates uh, in, uh, in outbound calling or call centers, but a good connect rate's like 15, 20%. You had 97%. Everybody called us back because we were their bank and they trusted us. And if we had something that we wanted to tell them about, they were going to listen. And that just blew us away. I mean, I'm coming from like the internet marketing world where you're lucky to get 54 seconds of somebody's time once a quarter. And it's like, everybody called us back. And so uh, we didn't sell any insurance policies because the insurance carriers are infamously difficult to work with. They really don't want to transform. And so we said to ourselves, well, how can we take this latent customer interest and like actually sell them some more products because they want to buy from us. And so we decided to test the small business lending product. And um, that's where it got really hard because we're inside of a bank and we're gonna try to change lending. Lending is the core of the bank, right? Lending is where the money gets made. And, um, and now we're all of a sudden gonna start doing credit differently and use data and we were gonna like try to change how people were talking with customers and how like relationship management was done, which is the other core of a bank. And uh, I tell you, it was really hard. Like that's where we started getting people swearing at us. Like, what are you doing? This is a dumb idea. You're trying to throw taxpayer insured dollars out the window. And like, it was, it was hard. And um, you know, we're listening, we're a bunch of tough guys all around the uh, traditional bankers and entrepreneurs. And we just like figured it out. And um, the first test we did, we had over 6% of all the businesses we reach out to apply for a loan. As I'm, a, I'm a Capital One guy, highest response rate of anything I had ever done in my career. And then we knew we were onto something. It's like, guys, we just gotta make it really easy to borrow from Eastern, because everybody wants to borrow from us. Nobody wants to borrow from On Deck or American Express, or these big mega banks. They wanna borrow from a local bank that they trust. And so we did a series of tests, kind of MVP style tests, to validate what we needed to learn 
to build a platform and then we built it and we rolled it out and it turned Eastern into the number one bank for business in Boston. So was the challenge there, the, um, they didn't know Eastern would be a viable option or was it the application process and that you streamlined? Like what was the challenge that these uh, businesses didn't already know to, to knock on Eastern's door? Yeah, so let's rewind five years ago because our first test will, will, be, will have been five years ago in November. Um, all of the headlines that have been written about the challenger banks, the non-banks, PayPal getting into lending, B of A and Chase buying tech companies, none of that had happened. None of that had happened. So what was everybody's expectation for how easy a bank is to work with five years ago? Pretty hard, you know, let alone a very conservative 200-year-old bank or any really traditional bank. And so the ability to send an email to a customer and say, hey, great news, you're eligible for this new loan product we have. You can get, you can apply in 30 seconds, get instantly approved, you can get your money in as fast as five minutes. We've like, we've changed the bank. We want you to have the benefit of it. It's an incredible product. Click, click here whenever you need capital. It like blew people away. Um, it was just mind blowing. And then we, we followed that up with banker phone calls and the bankers would say, no, 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 it's actually true. I just, I got a loan to another customer yesterday. It really did take five minutes. It's like, you may not need capital now, but whenever you do, please, please remember us, we're here for you. And so it led to this giant sales transformation of the bank. We're talking to customers now in a much different way. It's not, hey, come into the branch. Uh, you should give us a lot of paperwork. We're gonna take three, maybe four weeks. Uh, and then at the end of it, we might tell you no. I, I don't know, I don't know, man, but do a lot of work and eventually we'll give you an answer. It's like, it's just totally different. Yeah, it's totally what businesses or consumers expect now. It's like, you're not gonna come into the branch, fill out all this paperwork, and then three to four weeks later you say, sorry, you're not eligible. And you're like, what? Are you serious? And they're like, you're like, you know, uh, anyways, I've, uh, it, it's, it's definitely uh, something that needed the change. So numerated, let's talk about numerated. So, um, so let's talk about numerated. And what I thought was interesting about numerated is the decision that, you know, Eastern bank uh, spun this out as a separate company versus having it in house as its own kind of, you know, proprietary technology as a competitive advantage. So what was the, the thought process there? Yeah, so um, and when we first put together Eastern Labs, which was three years before the spin out, we, we knew we would kind of reach the point where we needed to get the technology and the team out of the bank. Um, and the reason for that is Eastern is a mutual with no access to capital. Um, and that was great for us in the beginning because it, there was no quarterly shareholder pressure on like, hey, how is this major new investment in technology going? It gave us some running room to really prove out the business. Um, but then eventually the needs of a fast growing technology company outstripped the ability of a mutual to fund that development. And so um, we had started to get a bunch of outside interest from other banks who wanted to license the technology. And we kind of really validated that there was a business here beyond just providing technology to Eastern. And so we kind of all got together at the bank and said like, is it, is it time? Um, you know, the, the three year mark after we had started labs, it felt like the right time. And there was a lot of investor interest as well. And we were able to pull together a great group of uh, a venture capitalists to get the technology into a new company. Um, and the round came together really quickly and really well to set up now as a company, not just working with one bank, but working with, today we work with 16 banks, just two years into the business. So talk about, you know, how it all works. Um, you know, like how does, you know, now that you're out of the bank, how does Numerated operate? Uh, like what do you provide to your customers? And, you know, it's B2B to C. So what are the, you know, the consumers or, or, or businesses that benefit from this? Like how does it all work? 
Yeah, so the way we describe the platform is a, uh, a real-time credit and sales platform for banks. And, you know, we're not directly lending to anybody. We provide, we're an enterprise software company for banks. And so, um, you know, banking traditionally has had uh, lending software. It's kind of part of the back office. You bring that documentation if you want a loan, and all of a sudden someone scurries in the back office and gives it to somebody to do a bunch of work without ever talking to you. And so that needs to go away. Um, and so those platforms are old, archaic, and they just don't provide a customer experience. That is what the market demands. And so our technology lets bankers be empowered to say, hey, I, I, I can tell you the three, four, five, ten products that we can sell you as a bank, and I can tell you the terms in about 30 seconds. I'm going to ask you five, six questions. And, um, and so we give bankers tools to be totally empowered and have great conversations with potential customers or customers. Um, and uh, we also, on top of that, from working with 16 banks now and from having built this inside of one, we have a playbook. You know, changing a bank is hard. It takes time and effort. And so we've got the playbook. And it's like, listen, here's how you first talk to your bankers about this. They're going to be scared. It's going to change their job. Here's how you get them excited to now be able to do the job in an even better way. Credit. You have to change credit. Listen, we talk to 16 banks and we can tell you the rough rules of the road. And if you tell us your decisions on credit, we can say, don't do that or you're going to lose a lot of money. Um, and we can kind of guide people through the process. And so it's both technology, but it's customer success underlying the technology to make sure that our banks are successful in using it. And it's that combination of the technology where it must be just streamlining, streamlining the operation side of you know, the application process, the underwriting, the approval, the actual closing of the loan. But there's also use of uh, artificial intelligence in the platform too that, that, that is part of the overall equation. So how does that factor in? Yeah, so the, um, the data side of what we do, and obviously we've got a whole bunch of data science models and AI, um, we took kind of an interesting approach. You know, you might think, you know, okay, you guys can just build a big model and predict who you should lend to and who you shouldn't lend to and who's going to pay you back. And that's, that's not what we do. Uh, what we do is say, I think banks make that decision who <laughs> they want to lend to and who they don't. They're not going to take a black box model and just say, hey, this is our new way for putting money out the door. <clears throat> the bank. The problem is uh, they've been reliant on paperwork and documentation coming in from customers to make those decisions. And so what we do is apply AI and machine learning to generate the inputs so that you don't have to have the paperwork. The bank's still going to write their own credit rules against the data that's coming in. We're just giving them the data now. And it's actually, you might just think, oh, well, you know, data is really easy to create. You know, how much money do you make? And you know, then I'll, uh, I'll just run some calculations against that. Let me tell you why it's hard. Banks really care about industry. Different industries perform different through credit cycles, right? A restaurant, they're notorious for going bankrupt when the economy goes bad. You're going to need to treat them differently. Uh, versus a, a doctor's office. Man, those are the most pristine credits a bank can have. And so the question is, I get an application for a loan from Johnson Brothers Incorporated. What do they do? Gosh, I don't know. There's no database of good industry information for businesses. It just doesn't exist. So if you wanted to find out what Johnson Brothers Incorporated in Norwood, Massachusetts does, what would you do? Well, you'd go to the internet and Google, right? So we taught software to do that and to interpret the results, right? How long has a business been in business? You'd think that there's one single perfect database for that. There's not. The databases disagree. What's the logic to figure out how somebody's actually, how long someone's actually been in business? We built the logic to figure that out. And so kind of creating all the data inputs is really hard. And that's what banks have just not made much progress in. 
our software does that for them. Now, can you talk about uh, Numerate as far as where the company is today uh, at, at scale, whether it's employees, funding raised, or whatever else you can share? Yeah, yeah. No, I'll kind of give you the scoop. So we're, uh, we're 26, 27 months in business. So just over two years, we work with 16 banks today. Banks do not make decisions quickly. We're thrilled to be working with that many two years in. Um, our ARR growth has been rapid and nice. Uh, our employee growth has had to kind of keep up with that. We're 50 people today. When we started the business, we were 18. And so uh, great employee growth. We've been able to attract really, really awesome folks to the team. I'm pretty proud of that. And um, uh, in terms of funding, we've raised $17 million to date. Uh, pretty well capitalized, but we'll probably continue to bring in uh, capital into the company to uh, let us expand. Um, Banks don't want to buy just the products we have built on the platform today. They want to put every product in the bank on our platform. And so we've got a lot of work to do to enable the sales transformation of truly everything in the bank. And what, what, how do you see the future for Numerated as far as growth of uh, the platform or products? And then um, you know, what are your kind of short-term hiring plans? Yeah, so I'll tell you kind of why we get so excited about this opportunity and kind of why it's so big. So banks in just the United States alone, spend $105 billion a year on technology. That's a really big number. Banks also, on top of all that, last year spent $10 billion putting bricks in the ground to build branches. And why do they build branches? Nobody walks in to service their account there. We're all doing it on our phones. They build branches to acquire customers and to sell. Hmm, I wonder if putting bricks in the ground is gonna get somewhat at least replaced by digital tools to acquire customers. It would seem that's probably true. So you've got this massive addressable market that's all getting thrown up in the air. And so what we wanna do is come in and lead the sales transformation of banks. We've got pretty good credibility two years in that we're doing that. We wanna leave a mark on the industry. We wanna change how banks sell and make it much easier for customers to buy products and let banks become modern in the ways that they attract and build relationships. Yeah, it is shocking when you see a new branch going up periodically. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. $10 billion a year. $10 billion a year. Wow, that's insane. Uh, so so what, what are your plans as far as, as hiring for uh, this year and the next? Yeah, I mean, we'll probably grow the team by close to another 50% uh, over the rest of this year. Um, and uh, we'll probably be, it'll be around twice the size that we are uh, today by the end of next year. So continued employee growth. Uh, we'll expect to see air growth uh, that's on pace with what we've been doing in the past. Um, and so a lot of runway in front of us. And um, again, we just kind of keep our heads down and focusing on building technology that we know can help banks transform. And that's what we've done to date and it's worked out pretty well. And we'll keep doing that. Well, before you highlighted the amount of venture capital that's going towards the fintech industry. So are there any um, trends or different, uh, you know, uh, ideas that you're seeing out there just being kind of, you know, knowledgeable about the industry as a whole that uh, businesses should be excited about or maybe even consumers uh, around the whole fintech industry? Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd highlight a couple of things. One, I mean, obviously our, our big belief is that um, buying products should be push button um, and kind of working with the bank should be digitally enabled. Um, there's a couple of different uh, companies that are also going after that. Um, you know, the other thing I'd highlight is that the, the tools available for businesses to manage their business digitally are, uh, are increasing by the day. Um, there are some pretty big companies that have already been built, built.com uh, being one of them that kind of support digitally running a business. But I think we're seeing a new crop of, uh, of companies now that are gonna let you know, a small business owner have a much 
deeper insight into their own business, you know, based on comparisons of other businesses like them, really kind of pulling out insights for them to think about. On the large corporate side, uh, companies that we like and respect uh, are integrating banking directly into the ERP systems of the, of the corporation and being able to have, you know, inside of, you know, pick your large, you know, ERP system, banking just be embedded. And so your capital is sitting with the rest of your business. That's pretty cool. Um, and uh, to see the large enterprise getting digitized is, is, is interesting and, and heartening. So, yeah, that's a, that's a very hard problem to solve. Yeah. Uh, a company that's very well known, of course, but it's just, it's, it, it, as we're talking through this, it just you know, made me remember. Like when I first started Venture Fizz, um, you know, people, you know, for, for payments by credit card, you know, I had to use PayPal. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe how, how difficult it was. And then I started doing subscription payments and that was an even a whole new layer of complexity for PayPal where I'm right. like, they're this global payment provider. I thought this would be like plug and play. And then Stripe came in and just mm-hmm. changed that whole world and changed mine as far as making the ease of use of subscription and credit card payments. So it's just that different, I don't know if it's just a different way of looking at it that Stripe had versus what PayPal was doing, but it totally changed the landscape, especially for me. Right, yeah. I mean, on the payment side, um, Stripe really did change the game and, um, uh, and upped everybody's uh, you know, ability to let you plug in payments into whatever your application was you were working in. Um, we see that kind of continuing to move up the stack and it seems like most of the action in the payment space today um, has been about embedding payments just in an application that you use to run your business every day. So you don't have to think about it separately. Um, and so we see that trend continuing and probably some good, very verticalized SaaS businesses getting built that have you know payments as a core piece of, of the application. Now, how's the landscape in Boston? Uh, you know, FinTech in Boston, is there a very active, robust uh, community and set of companies that are, that are emerging? Yeah, no, I think it, uh, Boston's been pretty good for fintech uh, for a while, and, and it's just kind of a constant baseline level of companies that are getting created. Um, you know, we had some, uh, some good action in the payment space, Level Up had a nice exit. Um, we have a lot of activity in the wealth management space and kind of enablers to wealth management, just given the fact that 25% of all retirement dollars in the world are managed out of Boston, uh, thanks to the big players we have here. And so, uh, you know, I think the wealth management enablement sector uh, will continue to be uh, hot. And then uh, there are some kind of smaller companies uh, that are up and coming in the bank tech space like us. And so we're excited to see that. Uh, we'd like to see more bank tech plays uh, getting run. Yeah, no, there is a lot going on and there's been some great community building with like Boston FinTech Week and other programs that are helping uh, promote just that industry in general across Boston. Yeah, no, that's been awesome to see. Um, You know, again, back in 2008 when I was getting Perk Street started, there were maybe like two people that I could hang out with and talk about FinTech in Boston and the number is a lot more now. So you've you've raised capital multiple times now and, you know, you raised – and I want to get your perspective on this because you raised capital when it was the hardest time to raise capital for an idea that VCs weren't funding fintech. So what advice would you give to first time founders on uh, raising capital? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I mean, I think it's um, a, a couple things. You, you first and foremost, you have to have a vision that's compelling and frankly, not every business idea has a compelling vision behind it or can have a compelling vision behind it. So you've got to know your market and how much money you can make and who would buy like really, really well. And then you've got to have your own conviction on this actually is a really good idea. And here's why, and here's why I have conviction. It is. And then you've got to go convince somebody else of that. 
<laughs> and you know, the art of being compelling, it's an art and it's a learned skill. And I think the best way to improve your pitch as an entrepreneur is just to do it all the damn time and always be out there hustling and giving it to people. Um, and practice makes, makes you better. Uh, and then I think the more you can surround yourself pre-capital raise with people that are going to give you good feedback and you can be open to that and truly receptive to them saying like, I heard this part of your pitch and you know, listen, it sucks. <laughs> and here's why. Figuring out how to internalize that feedback. Um, you know, I'll be honest, when I went out and raised capital the first time as a 29 year old dude who had never raised money and thought I knew everything in the world, I didn't know how to take feedback. Um, and that's been the last 15 years of my career. I've been about understanding how to learn based on what other people are kind of giving you and their, their feedback. And so um, figuring out how to do that is the best thing you can do as a first stage, uh, first initial capital raiser. Figure out how to take feedback. Now you mentioned that every business isn't going to raise venture capital like, like a lot of businesses don't, I mean, many. Um, are banks becoming a little bit more progressive when it comes to lending to businesses that would never raise outside capital from a VC firm or, you know, seed syndicate type of thing. Uh, Cause you know, the, the challenges that I've seen out there is you do go to the bank or, you know, you try to, uh, you know, you need a line of credit or, but they all tie everything back to your personal assets. <laughs> so, but there's like emerging players out there like ClearBank up in Toronto that, you know, it's, their appetite for lending is a little bit more progressive and not tying everything back to the business owner's personal assets. So is, is that a shift that's going to happen or? No, no. <laughs> it's a one word. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. And uh, not that there won't be specialty players here and there, but mainstream banks will never do that. Uh, the, the risk is, the risk is too high. Is that, yeah, I mean, listen, we're still in a post-financial crisis world. And in the post-financial crisis world, um, I bank, banks never wanted to do unsecured lending without a personal guarantee to businesses that are new in business. They never wanted to do that. They really, really, definitely, 100% post-crisis will never do that. Um, unless we're talking about somebody who they've had a relationship with going back 20 years, who probably, by the way, doesn't need the money. So it's just not something that banks do. They... Um, you know, the charge-off rates at most banks are zero right now. They don't lose money. They don't take risk that's not backed up with something behind it. Um, and so, uh, and there's got to be a viable business to back up the loan. And if you're new, you do not have a viable business. That's it. You got to find some other form of capital, I guess, like different like government loans or something. I don't know. Who knows? But, uh, but yeah, it is, it can be challenging for small business owners to, uh, to fund their business and fund expansion and growth. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what do you like to do outside of work? What do you, what do you like to do when you're not, you know, focused on numerated? Yeah. I've got two young kids, five and eight. And so, uh, my life is uh, 125% filled up with, uh, with my two kids who I love to be with and my wife who I love to be with and, you know, and my family and then the business and, if I had uh, a couple more minutes in the day, I'd probably spend a little more time exercising. And if I had a couple more minutes behind that, I, I love to cook. Uh, I just don't do it very much anymore. <laughs> so, no, I'm flat out with, uh, with family and work, man. I can relate. I've got uh, two kids too, so, yeah. but, uh, but it's all fun. Yeah. 
Well, Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background and your professional journey. And of course, all the great things you guys are up to at, at Numerated. Thanks. This was a lot of fun. Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.